and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, CEO and founder of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. Joining me today is per Professor Sarath Godagoda. Sarath is the acting director of the UTS Robotics Institute, president of the Australian Robotics and Automation Association, and ambassador to the New South Wales Smart Sensing Network. Sarath has got a list of accomplishments so long and, and so um, awe-inspiring that I'm actually going to stop there now um, and I'm going to put it all in the show notes. So, Sarath, thank you so much and welcome uh, to the show today. Uh, thank you very much for having me, Nikki. It's a great yeah. Great pleasure. So congratulations on your appointment as president of the Australian Robotics and Automation Association. Um, firstly, was there stiff competition for you? Um, <laughs> uh, well, well, I have been uh, uh, volunteering for um, Robotics Association for a few years now, four years actually. Yes. It's a different role. So I first joined as a secretary and then uh, for two years and then um, I worked or oh, I joined as a vice president to the association. So. This is, uh, I thought, natural progression into the uh, um, the presidency, but there was, a, you know, um, there was a UAI process, so um, of yeah, open, open to competition. Yes. You know, I think actually just, you know, talking about um, boards and things, it's, it's actually good because, you know, a lot of people don't want to get involved in boards because they think, they need to know everything. And this is actually very far from the truth. It's a whole process because if you join a board, um, you know, you learn the, the ins and outs, They uh, possibly you get sent on some courses as well. And yeah. I, I think actually your progression is the ideal one. It's sort of, you start as a secretary and then vice president. I had a similar journey with squash and racquetball, Victoria. I, I joined as a director and then I was vice president and then I was president, which is, like you know, like you think it's daunting, but it's not because they're people too, you're not born a director. Let's put it that way. You know, you learn these things. Yeah, I mean, uh, every every association has uh, its own uh, way of working um, scope. So as far as you're familiar with that, you can do a better job, I thought. So um, in that respect, you know, it is a great thing to be involved uh, before into the, you know, president um, level. But I think you had to start at some point. So you had to join in the- Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. So- it's, it's very rare for a person to join a board and go straight into a presidential position. I don't think I've ever actually even heard of it, but like I'm yeah. sure it's out there, but it's very unusual. So how long yeah. is your term for? Uh, it's for, uh, generally it's for two, two years. Two years, excellent. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what's your main focus? Okay. Um, that's, a, that's a great question because, um, you know, Australia has a great robotics community. Um, when we compare with the other part of the world, it could be relatively small as well. So, um, and at the same time, we are very sparsely located. So it's a big country, a small number of uh, robotics researchers in uh, different areas. I think the um, we are collaborating, but I'm not sure whether um, we are collaborating to the level that we might uh, think is the best for all of us. So uh, one of the main focuses is to see how we can uh, enhance these uh, collaborations within the um, 
Australian robotics community, what are the things that we can do better in order to or creating more opportunities for those uh, collaborations that is uh, one of the main focus and also um, one of the things that we have seen over the years is that uh, the involvement of our senior researchers in these sort of activities is kind of declining um, um, I'm not sure what the reason is but I think this is one of the things that um, I'm focused in this years to see uh, what are those reasons and then try to again create some opportunities to get them back. Because, you know, if I look at my career early stages of my career, um, I really love to see these senior researchers who are the mentors, who are the great people, I mean, in the world. So when you go and talk to them, that's really inspiring. So if you are losing that, that is not really great for um, for us as a robotics community. So, so you mean you're losing them completely to the industry? They're just not there anymore or um, just from a research perspective? Uh, no, what, what I'm trying to say is that, uh, for example, we, we, we have our own, uh, you know, the Australian robotics um, conferences. So the involvement of that conferences, uh, we had so many senior researchers in the past uh, actively involved there and then you know we go there and talk to them and that is the inspiration for us uh, i see a little bit of decline in that um, not only that whatever the activities that we are doing so i think it's not really uh, we are losing them to the industry but i think uh, uh, we are losing their participation in our ara day-to-day uh, -day activities so that is something um, uh, of focus and um, maybe on the other part of it, uh, very recently, one of my colleagues in uh, his ex officio of the uh, ARAA um, had an email to us saying about, you know, the, the whole education, undergraduate education in the mechatronics area, robotics in Australia. So um, there is an initiative that's happening. I, I know that uh, UTS, uh, UNSW, and uh, University of Sydney all are looking at, um, you know, changing or revising their degrees and looking further, looking to the, uh, the education side of it. So this could be a great opportunity to maybe roll out the whole Australia and look at, uh, again, with considering the current situations, considering the um, future, and then trying to see what sort of uh, um, changes that we need to do as a whole uh, robotics community, mechatronics community. So those are kind of uh, going along with the training, um, you know, for future workforce, so on and so forth. So that is another thing that is I'm very keen on. Okay, so those are your personal, and I mean, coming, being associated to a university, I think in a way makes it easier because you're aware of all the academics across Australia at all the universities, yeah. um, you know, such as Elizabeth Croft, Professor Elizabeth Croft, and Sue Kay, who I think is also on the advisory board um, of ARAA. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, these are all people that are, are very focused on fostering robotics and, and getting it ahead in Australia. Yeah, I mean, we had a great community and great leaders, great thought leaders uh, yeah. in domain. So it's a matter of, I think, uh, get them on board and connected um, throughout all robotics community so that especially our young, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, young people can get better mentorship and yeah. uh, better um, uh, thought processes in, in this direction. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, from, from what I've understood of universities, you go there to learn and, and, to, and how to think, but you, when you get into industry, it's not, there's, there's far more than an academic education that you need, you know, like there are all yeah. sorts of things that you have to take into consideration when you start a job and it's, you know, I'm actually surprised that companies don't just from the get-go have a program that when you started a company, you've got a mentor that takes you under mm -hmm. their wing and they t tell you what to do and how to do it. And, you know, this is the culture. I think it would solve a lot of problems in companies if they sort of adopted this approach. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's a the lifelong journey. It's, it's just not, um, I think we are having blocks of uh, studying and then working. I think what um, really should happen is... Uh, train uh, our, you know, um, our students to get onto what is out there coming in the future in terms of uh, taking this as a lifelong learning journey, because you can't really learn enough <laughs> throughout your life. There are so many things that we learn. Uh, we will, we learn every day things, different things, right? So it's a matter of uh, getting into that attitude and the um, way of um, learning the things that you need to learn. I think what I like to call, call it is called purpose learning. So you have some sort of uh, purpose in your life, purpose in whatever you do, then learn based on whatever that. Yeah, because it keeps you enthusiastic and motivated to go, look, yeah. this is the start of my journey. And as you, you say, there's just never an end to learning, you know, and especially yeah. what's how it's available today on the internet. I mean, with COVID, we've all sort of, um, you know, flipped over to that side and, and it's quite acceptable now to do courses and it has been for many years anyway, especially, you know, if you look at the robotics with Professor Peter Cork and his yeah. online courses, like, you know, absolutely phenomenal uh, material available for anyone to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that is one of the great things which has happened with this online learning and the internet because, you know, you can learn whatever you'd like to learn. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a passion. It's a passion and interest which can drive these things. And um, yeah, definitely. Hence, hence us all sitting down in front of our computers the whole day learning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the YouTube rabbit hole. Oh, I'll just start here, and then you go four hours later. Now, where was I? How did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 So, so what's the main function of of the association? So the ARA is uh, basically a professional society which is looking after all the robotics activities uh, within the Australia with the collaboration, with the very strong collaboration with our New Zealand um, counterpart. So our main uh, focus is on promoting robotics um, activities uh, in terms of meetings, conferences, and also encouraging R&D activities and um, promote the application of uh, robotics uh, in, uh, in different applications. So that is kind of a whole idea of the you know, main focus of the association. Okay, holistic one. So um, the conference this year, I think it's scheduled to be in Melbourne, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Next so one is going to be in Melbourne. It's in Monash and uh, it's a great, uh, going to be a great conference. So. Uh, 
Yes, Monash is uh, working posting on it. it. Okay, so um, I think their robotic center should nearly be finished by now because I spoke to Professor Dana Kulik um, mm. on my podcast last year, and you know, it, I think COVID sort of interfered, but I haven't caught up with her since to see whether it's finished. Yeah, I'm not uh, very sure about where it is at now. I, I think our first meeting is going to be on this uh, 28th of this month. So I will have more information about Oh, excellent. That keep, time, keep, yeah. keep us informed. So, sure, sure, so yeah. how many members do you have? I mean, I know there's obviously a membership fee, but like, what do they do with the money and, and how does it all work? Yeah, um, we have around 670 members in oh, this. Uh, now, it's, it's great uh, to have them and... Uh, two categories. One is the individual category where the, um, they can join as individuals or their corporate category. The companies can join as uh, members too. So the individual uh, membership is free of charge. So they can uh, get the membership uh, without paying a cent. The uh, corporate category is uh, $400 per year. Okay. So what they are getting out of that is basically um, they will have the uh, um, a logo on the uh, our ARA website, which is a great place for all the robotics community to refer to, so they have a better exposure. And also, they will have uh, um, um, attend the you know the conferences and so on. So I think it's mostly about connecting with people, That's right. with the like-minded people. I would say. So um, we're skipping ahead a little bit in our order here, but the, the robotics roadmap in 2018, of which yeah. you were a chair, um, and I also was involved as a chair in the, in the health um, workshop that we had. I, I think what came to light with the robotics roadmap there is our huge robotic community that um, doesn't necessarily know about each other. And also hence this podcast, I decided to do it based on that, that I know a lot of people and you go, oh, do you know this person? They go, no, I haven't even heard of them. And which is quite bizarre. Um, well, in one way, because Australia is huge. And I suppose yeah. we all a little bit inwardly focused when we, you know, we're running startups and our businesses and things, but that was highlighted um, that we don't all know about each other. So yeah. do, you, do you think this has changed a little bit in your time? Yeah, I think um, that is a fair comment uh, because, you know, the, although this is a small community, um, we might have, you know, uh, heard about their names, but we don't know really what they are doing or, um, what, yeah, what research they are doing, carrying out. So um, I think there is a, a bit of a problem there in terms of, uh, you know, the collaboration. That's why even uh, when I was mentioning my main focuses, um, it, it focuses on that uh, area. So we, we don't have still a uh, strategic way of still under brainstorming what are the things that we can do in order to bring them together and uh, make that happen. One of the ideas came was actually to host uh, maybe a seminar series so that uh, the uh, we can invite different people from uh, the people who are not seen much in the community. Yeah. focusing on them and then, you know, um, getting them to know. I think what you have started is a great thing, Nikki. Um, this, this, I, I watched uh, almost all of the podcasts that you have done. It is oh, fascinating, to, um, fascinating to hear about them. This is not only focused on research. This is about life. This is about yeah. 
everything, everything that we do. Fantastic. I think that is how I think it's a great way of uh, uh, breaking the ice between different people. I think it's fantastic. Thank you, Saroth. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, um, I, I see it as, um, you know, I'm a very small cog in the robotics net, um, you know, network, so to speak, in terms of the robotics I deal with. Um, you know, and I listen and I speak to all these people and they, um, they've got so much to offer and, and Australians, you know, I, I, and I've mentioned this in a few, you know, they're very shy to come forward about how actually how brilliant they are and the, the technology they're doing. It's just, um, I actually spoke to Dikai, Professor Dikai Lee oh, yeah. yesterday. Yes, you'd know him. Yeah, and course, um, yeah. we were talking about all the projects you've done there and just, you know, amazing work that you go, these such unassuming people are doing these absolutely fantastic things and if you you know you don't talk to them you're not never going to know this but yeah. because they don't blow their own trumpet is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah i think that's one of the things maybe lacking uh with the engineers um, yeah. this has been you know uh, seen over the even of undergraduate uh, level students you know they do great things but when it comes to storytelling and convey that into others, they are a bit, uh, you know, going a bit backwards. Yeah. I think, uh, being an engineer, so even ourselves, I think um, our main focus has been in the areas of uh, developing technologies, delivering them, but not much about, uh, you know, communicating that into others, saying that, well, hey, we are doing these great things, uh, have a look and, you know, uh, let's go with the journey. I think that is that part is relatively I'm missing from our engineering community, I, I feel. Listen, it's okay. I'm going to design a course for all your engineers. You can come through my course, and when I'm finished with you, you'll know what to say. <laughs> Fantastic. I think I think that's a great idea. At, at one point, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go to Stanford University for a, a sabbatical. And uh, when I was there, I think that was one of the things I learned a lot, because how they communicate. I think... Um, the communication and storytelling part of it is great over there. Um, I see a big difference, actually. I saw a difference, contrast between uh, ourselves with them. So uh, uh, with that in mind, I took that on boards and I'm trying to integrate that into my subject, saying that, you know, well, you have a project now to complete, uh, but before that, can you pitch it to me? Yes. So that whether we can, uh, you know, accept your project or not something like that small yeah. things but i think um it's a practice practice you need yeah. practice in order to you know communicate that in a very effective way uh, to the listener and you got to know the audience who you are talking to in order to you know make it more effective i think uh, yeah you're completely right. You know, there's a guy called Sean Callahan um, in Melbourne. His company is called Anecdote, and mm -hmm. they specialize in storytelling. And he right. actually does courses and um, well, he's now on Zoom doing it, but like he's he's well known. He's been all over the world doing it. And um, it's it's all about the story, you know. So you can have done the most amazing stuff, but if you if you can't weave into something relatable that you and I can go, okay, we we connecting to you, then the story is lost. Like the information yeah. is lost. It's not yeah. really a story. So, and I, I've watched some speakers, and I think the most effective ones are the one that they go, let me relate to you what happened to me, and exactly. you know, you're taking your audience on the journey of what happened. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. I think it's an art that yes. we have to practice, and uh, you know, uh, practice, practice, practice. 
I love your I love your pitching ideas for your students uh, because this actually will prepare them for when they go into the workforce and they have to speak to their managers and go listen this is the idea I have and you really you you light the imagination of the possibilities of what you can do yeah yeah I think one is communicating that uh, whatever the essence given the limited time to the audience so yeah. it is uh, Sometimes, you know, we used to talk about all the background by the time we finished the background, the time's up. Yeah. Uh, so how could you really, uh, you know, you, you meet your, you know, boss in a lift and then uh, how can you kind of- How are you making an imprint? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> let me tell you, you'll remember me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So tell me, how did you get into robotics? You know, CEOs aren't uh, a pleasant um, and, and you're particularly interested in this field. Well, um, I'm, I'm, Nikki, I'm not sure whether you remember there was a television series in US action uh, television series called Knight Rider in 80s. Yes, yes. Uh, with what's okay. that guy's name? Michael. Michael Knight. And Mason, David. yeah. Yeah, David Hassel, whatever yes, you are. Hasselhoff, yes. Hasselhoff. Yeah. He's, he's the actor. So my when I was in teenagers, yes, um, that was one of my favorite, favorite uh, tele mm. dramas. Uh, so I really loved that. And at that time, uh, uh, you know, it, it was a dream. It is, it is fantastic that there's the car going by itself. It is more advanced than actually today's yeah. <laughs> available cars. It can think more than what um, what a normal car do, and then does fabulous things. And then I was waiting for the next week to see the next part of it, right? Yeah. So that is in my teenagers. But I am not going to say that that inspired me to go into robotics. What I am trying to say is that that was in back of my mind at some point, right? And then I liked engineering because uh, I like maths and I really don't like memorizing things. <laughs> I, yeah. I hate that. So I, I, I wanted to be an engineer because of that. So yeah. then um, the within the engineering discipline, at that time, we didn't have mechatronics. We had uh, conventional um, streams, fields. So I chose uh, electrical engineering. So my background is in electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. And then the best thing happens after my undergraduate degree. I had a very good friend. I think uh, I really respect him uh, for introducing me to uh, one of the great professors in robotics. Mm -hmm. So I was working at that time and I thought, oh my God, that's a great opportunity. I will put my application in. And you know what, the, the, um, the title or the title of the project was Sonodinous Cars. So that is fantastic. Now, you know, my childhood memories, teenage memories, everything coming together. I thought that is fantastic. It's a great opportunity for me to perceive in this and I will go for it. And that is where I uh, started my robotics journey, starting with the autonomous cars. So I was working in you know, and design, even designing, uh, uh, autonomous car, um, and then uh, worked on uh, data fusion aspects of it. So that's the start of uh, my journey. And then before, just before finishing my um, PhD, I got a great opportunity from a few places, including here and uh, um, in Australia, which uh, we had the great uh, 
as initiative or startup of ARC Center for Excellence uh, in um, Autonomous Systems, so CAS, yeah. uh, which is a collaboration between University of Sydney, UNSW, and UDS. So they had a worldwide uh, uh, application process for the postdocs. So that's my first uh, job. Um, as a postdoc, I joined UDS and we had a great team, great environment. So uh, working in the, I got the opportunity to work in the same driverless cars and we managed to send our first uh, team or the Australian only team for the DARPA Urban Grand Challenge in US. So yeah. um, we participated, that, that's fantastic. And then that's how the everything evolves. And then I, I think we will, we can talk a little bit about later, but uh, going into Suez, uh, which is a bit smelly, but it's a fantastic I think, yeah. opportunity. You know what, I, um, I was reading that in India, um, drones now are a massive way of um, inspecting the sewers and that lives lost on average five a week because of, yes. you know, I just read, I thought, geez, like this, now you talk about robotics making a difference in people's lives, a drone going into a sewer, people don't have to do it. I know Melbourne, I think Melbourne Water also does drone yeah. usage of um, inspecting the assets, but I think what really caught me in India was all these people dying um, yeah. because they're going into sewers, they don't need to because the drones are now doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, I think um, that's a challenge because, and, and also the opportunity for robotics because I think when you look at the the um, the challenges it is dull you know the three Ds right the dull dirty and dangerous yeah. so sewers qualify everything every yeah. aspects of it and a perfect application for robotics mm -hmm. um, I think one of the inspirations for doing this uh, or going into um, the the research in uh, the sewer area is that I have seen some of the videos and photos. Um, of the sewers, this is actually uh, Jaka. Um, once the you know sewers are clogged due to whatever the reason, what happened is people are just jumping in there without any PPEs. Mm. So you are just jumping into the sewer to clog, you know, unclog that. What happened is that's where other people are losing their lives because. Once that block is gone, it sucks you it in. Sucks you, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So and then this is really dangerous. And and in terms of the exposure to other chemicals, biologicals, um, species, and so on, it's it's really really bad. So having some sort of a technology in order to do that to help them to do that safely is a fantastic thing. I think. Yeah. For the bigger sewers, uh, yes, the drones are an opportunity, but uh, when it comes to small sewers, uh, one of the problems, Nikki, is that in sewers, we can't really shut down a sewer. Yeah. Normally, uh, yeah. it has water, it has the dirty water, it has all other things hanging from the um, structures. So um, drone has their own challenges, but their space as well. They have their own space in solving many other problems. So yeah. one of the things uh, I would add over there, Aniki, is that uh, normally people used to use uh, CCTV or camera-based inspection. Mm -hmm. What we are doing at the moment is going beyond that because camera-based inspection cannot really tell you what is happening to the structure. You can only see um, the surface, 
what is happening to the surface, then with the experience that you gain, maybe able to say that, okay, this doesn't look right. But what we have been doing over the past years is that to um, give some other sensors a chance of exploiting and uh, you know uh, estimating what is happening inside of the sewers. For those are normally uh, the concrete sewers. So how can you tell how much corrosion has happened and whether that corrosion has reached the reinforcement bars or not? Because you know if it reached the reinforcement bars, that's where they have to draw a line and do something major. Yeah. So that's where you know the other added value where you can really now do um, condition assessment of those uh, assets which are underground. You know, Sarath, I, I often get asked about people, you know, uh, robots in attack of our lives, you know, and get to take jobs. I, and I look at them and I go, look, clearly they don't know enough about robots because, and that's our fault because we're not educating them to say to them, look, these are the uses of robots. Of course, um, there will be job losses and stuff, but I think there's enough of a runway to let people know in industries where the job losses are coming. You either need to re-educate yourself or do something else, you know, so potentially autonomous vehicles is a field that we can, you know, speculate there. But um, I think even in that, the job losses haven't been as severe because we haven't really adopted it in Australia yet. But if you talk about these sort of um, robots inspecting assets and things and saving people's life, it's just a no-brainer that you would be using and you would be, um, you would be creating and, and designing more of these robots. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if I take the same example as the sewers, right? If, if somebody asked me, are you going to take the job of that poor person who jumps into a sewer to risk his whole life? With that scenario, I would say yes. Mm. I would provide you a tool which you, should, you will be using in order to save your life, save your um, whole health. Yeah, I think, I think one of the one of the maybe uh, I think the the Australian robotics roadmap is doing this to a certain extent, discussing these issues and you know giving the opinion about you know this is not really taking anybody's job. This is not the intention. I don't think any of our roboticists is willing to take somebody else's job. I I don't believe that. I I feel that uh, you know what is going to happen is that uh, you. We are going to provide some tools. It is just like you know what has happened over the years. Um, for example, you know um, when when we when when the car was invented, or you know when we have uh, cars, did anybody complain about you know is it going to uh, change or take our jobs because yeah. it is a technological enhancement? And then this is similar. We are going to provide some tools in order to do things better and safe way. This can be a job shift. The way that people used to do things are going to change. They're going to use different tools and do it much safer and easier way, but I don't think it will be a job loss. I can imagine that some of the jobs can go, but there could be some others created. So overall, I think it could be a balance. 
Yeah, I think the job creation, because, you know, I speak to everyone and, for instance, the, um, you know, that little caterpillar robot that you designed, the crab, like, um, you know, someone needs to maintain that, someone needs to operate it, so you get training for that, so a new job is created there, Um, drone flying and emergency delivery of medicine um, in third world countries, they're actually training the people living there, so you're actually creating a whole new ecosystem in a country that's not even your country, so worldwide, you know, you sort of lifting people out of and you're creating new possibilities for them yeah yeah definitely i think the other other maybe the example is that the invention of the internet right yeah the internet has been uh you somebody can argue that it can take all of our jobs mm. but what happens really is that it created many more other opportunities yes so i think it is it's a matter of uh, and then the other thing i believe is that uh, you as human beings we are very adaptive we are adapting to the situations and uh, creating more opportunities. So I think uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic thing to see. Um, people have much more ideas when the things are coming into the on their way. I agree with you completely. And I, you know, speaking of the internet, you know, people have got um, YouTube channels that they make millions of dollars of. You know, if you if you're an influencer, I mean, it's very hard work. But um, you know, I look at these people. I go, I think they spend many hours there, but they make lots of money. So there's yeah. your perfect example. I, yeah. I think it's I think it's more managing the fear factor because you know we live in a very comfortable country in Australia. You know, we everything is provided for us. Um, yeah. I, I'm an immigrant of 26 years and I, I thank my lucky stars for being living in this fantastic country every day and um, yes I think we become a little bit insular here you know I don't think we there's a wild world out there of things happening yeah yeah that's that's true Nikki I think uh, as human beings uh, most of us have this bit of resistance to change yeah yeah so uh, as far as we are living a very comfortable life uh, we tend to keep going yeah, yeah. So, but but you know it is not always possible for example you can take this current situation actually um covid has basically flipped the world it it, mm. it uh, restarted the world right in one sense and then a um, lot of opportunities lost but many opportunities were created as well and then yeah. um, i mean if you look at uh, different things that people do these days uh, they are adjusting yeah, just into the current situations and trying to exploit it uh, in a good way and then trying to you know uh, make a good living so i think the people are very very um uh, agile yeah and innovative are you getting out there you, yeah. listen you've got bills to pay we'll we'll work around <laughs> how we're doing this exactly. so, so sarath you managed to write nine papers last year amongst COVID. Is, am i right and they all published so i'm not i'm not that afraid with all the academic parlance here so um i just see citations so I, I think if you cited in a paper then you're like an absolute guru and you've had many of your papers cited so um just for my audience you'll see it when you look at sarath's uh, bio is a, um, a very accomplished human being how did you manage this through COVID? yeah i think that's a good very good question i i give full credit to my team i have a fantastic team who are working very very well and very skilled people so most of my projects uh, over the past few years are industry-based projects so we we do a lot of industry projects because i believe in um, application and making an impact. So I don't just want to do something 
in the sake of research and write it down few papers and leave it out there. I want that to happen. So our focus has been more on, uh, you know, innovation and uh, making them prototyping, testing, delivering. So we didn't have too much time in writing uh, uh, papers and reports, mainly because of the deadlines coming from those uh, industry projects. But uh, in the you know in the past few months uh, we had a bit of a breathing space in that sense uh, to write a bit more focus on um, uh, write down what we have accomplished over the past and then you know publish. So we took it as an opportunity in in some way because we had to delay some of the um, the milestones of the industry projects, mainly because we didn't have access to the labs at some point. And then, you know, there were so many other restrictions in place. So, but we still could do this uh, because we just need, we can work at home and concentrate on what we have been doing and, you know, put them things on the paper. So I think that created an opportunity in terms of uh, that part of the life of the academia. Yeah, so you, you're obviously a passionate teacher. I can see that just by speaking to you. I come from a long line of teachers. My sister's just uh, finished her career after 38 years. So I can see this is, um, if you have a conversation with them, you're gonna try and get some lesson in there for them to learn. You've actually helped 12 PhD students um, finish and get their citations and they, they, um, they, they've got their PhDs. Um, what's your teaching philosophy? You know what what you're most proud of that you've achieved yeah okay um yeah i had um i and I have a phd students now so uh, over 20 uh, sorry over 12 uh, completed uh, most of them are all of them are doing great actually uh working in uh, uh, google amazon abb and uh, some others are professors actually in other yeah. cities so i'm very very happy with their progress and i hope i have done uh, good for them uh, so in terms of the uh, teaching i i think um, i i believe in um, in just like research uh, hands on uh, authentic projects real world projects um, yeah. and also you know um, I also mentioned very briefly about purpose learning that is one of the main things I was very focusing on purpose learning in the sense that you learn what you want to learn or what you yeah. uh, would like to achieve for within the you know um, in the university education this is not fully defined yet mainly because we have to take some subjects to, to uh, complete those degrees. But what happened is um, the different students have different skill sets. So if you provide the same sort of uh, teaching or learning opportunities to everybody, that could be a waste. For example, I'm saying that for uh, a person who is very good at, let's say, programming part of the uh, life, for example, right? So if I, if you have a project which we have to um, develop a robotic system, he's already, he or she is very already good at that. So trying to teach more on that might not be the best approach. So we can focus him or her on maybe electronic design in this particular subject. So it is kind of a, um, based on individualized uh, way as far as we can go and also uh, research inspired because you know uh, students these days need 
little bit of flavor from future. So it's not about now uh, what we have to do, it is about what is coming as well. So it's all a combination and creating an environment where the students can learn. I think one of the changes happening over the years for good is that we are not mostly talking about teaching now. It's not teaching or lectures, it's about student learning because the criteria has to be how good the students learn, how much did they learn rather than how best or how good the teacher am. So that, I think that flipped in one way. In terms of what I love uh, mostly proud of, I think I'm a believer of um, not only curriculum-based uh, education, I am a very big fan of uh, creating more co-curricular activities for students so that they can do other things within the university life. For example, I was helping um, them to participate in other external competitions. Um, and then I, in 2011, I had a good discussion with the students group and managed to create the UTS uh, Student Robotics Society. So it has now over 90 students participating and uh, working uh, great on great projects. And uh, they won the uh, 2018 um, QUT uh, Droid uh, Racing Challenge. That is among all the you know, other universities, fantastic achievement. And then on the other hand, they are actually running their own workshop. It's great to see our students uh, organizing workshops and teaching other peers so that they can learn from each other. I think that's a, that's a great thing and that's the most happiest thing in my life uh, in, in terms of the education. You know, Sarath, I'm listening to you now, it comes to mind that um, education is a gift that just keeps on giving. You know, if you've got an education um, and whether it's a formal one that you've gone to university or you've got someone that you're teaching yourself purpose. And I love your phrase purpose living, um, learning, you know, like I think um, that sort of I've got some ideas in my own world that I go there things I'm interested in and I it's purposeful learning, you know, you, you want to know about the stuff so you schedule time and you do it. And I think. Um, you know, congratulations on getting these students to create their own um, little pods where, you know, and, and what will happen in that pod is someone else will see it and they'll go and create a pod. And yeah. that's exactly what you want because that's yeah. how it all, it, it, it flows out into the community. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's a learning journey and creating as many as possible ways of uh, learning opportunities. I think uh, different uh, students schools and we are different complex people, right? We can't have just one way of teaching or learning. It, it won't work because yeah. uh, we are so complex. Um, the way um, that somebody might learn is completely different. So if the peer learning is good for somebody else, well, go for it. And this is the opportunity. 
It's actually amazing that the actual formal education system as in schooling has survived as long as it had, you know, especially when you consider kids can sit on their smartphones now, look at their teachers and actually challenge them if they're talking nonsense. Um, you know, one of my previous guests, Gail Bray, said, you know, her her philosophy is not to know everything, but yeah. and she's the first to admit, I don't know everything, but I can find out for you, or I can point you in the direction where you can actually go and find out about it. Oh, definitely. I think I, I believe in that because, you know, even if I am teaching robotics and mechatronics, there could be questions coming, which I don't know. I, I am at that point, I'm very honest and say that, you know, I don't know the answer to this one, but that's a great question. Give me one week, I'll be teach you or I will tell you about this in the next week. I think uh, be honest, being honest uh, rather than trying to cover it up is uh, giving you the opportunity to understand what they are really asking and, and, and learn a bit more about what you don't know. And also, you know, um, um, give the others opportunity to learn from that. I think that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So um, circling back a little bit to the 2018 roadmap, um, were you involved in the 2021 as well? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I was uh, I was a co-chair of the uh, infrastructure section. Okay. Of, uh, 2018 roadmap and then 2020 as well. Yes. And that's uh, obviously um, I've mentioned Sue before. So, um, and the Australian Robotics Network website that's up. So, um, is that something that um, the AAA will sort of bring under the banner or sort of give highlight to? Because I sort of, I'm sensing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, like there, there are a few robotic organizations in Australia, not all necessarily aware of each other. So, I mean, I'd, I'd love it if all the organizations could be on a website somewhere that yeah. you can go, okay, this is West Australia. This is who you need to know about. This is, you know, Adelaide, like everyone. Is, is something like that available? Yeah, I think uh, the uh, Australian Robotics Network, it's a great place. So the focuses of uh, Australian Robotics Network and the uh, ARA are complementary. So I think uh, we are now uh, see more uh, collaborations and I want to see that happening as well to talk more and you know um, go hands in hand uh, with the um, the common uh, theme of you know focusing on working with robots and promoting robotics uh, so I think uh, um, it's a matter of uh, you know um, putting our old ideas together and working together I think collaboration is um, is the way to go yeah, I think the saying, um, a rising tide lifts all ships comes to mind, you know, like it's going to be to everyone's benefit when we collaborate and work together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's that's one of my main focuses. So um, uh, this, um, you know, it's not only about researchers, it's about organizations as well. So yeah, yeah. it's a, the soft skills of a little bit PRO networking and um, a pity we can't all get together under one roof <laughs> at this point in <laughs> yeah, time. No, that's right, yeah. So your yeah. strategy for establishing um, industry projects, how do you go about this and, and how does it all work? Okay, so the industry projects are interesting. Um, I have been focusing a lot on this one. Um, normally, when you talk to academia, what uh, in, in general the stereotyping uh, is that, you know, we do great research so I have this sort of great research. Let me somehow try to get funded to carry out my research. That has been the kind of a general thought process of an academic person with their best interest. But I thought it should be flipped. 
So especially when you are talking to industry, the main um, focus that you should be having is to actively listen and understand what their problem is. So we got to provide solutions for the problems for the industry. They are not here to support your research. That's not, main, that's not their main focus. Their main focus is their business. Mm -hmm. So in, in doing that, um, you can be smart enough to have your research agenda fit into that and then you know work with that. There is no problem with that. I think it's a win-win situation in that way. So, um, so as I mentioned, I think earlier, my uh, research direction was in the uh, um, areas of driverless cars, but uh, in the uh, Australian context, R&D side, the uh, automotive or side was not that great. And then we are talking about 2008, nine sort of uh, uh, time. And at that time, the funding uh, from the industry was not that great. Then I was exploring other areas and see whether, you know, whether there is opportunity out there so that uh, the background core robotics can be applied in other areas. That's where the, the sewers came into the picture, which uh, Sydney Water. Um, at the very first uh, project was actually done as a pilot and then pilot projects and I didn't ask for any money. Mm -hmm. So what happened was I had a PhD student was working in the um, areas of smart um, sensor networks. So how could you use uh, multiple uh, thousand of sensors in order to predict what is the environment conditions are? Then at one point in the discussion with Sydney Water, they prompted something about they have some issues uh, relating to monitoring of uh, hydrogen sulfide uh, gas within the sewers, but they couldn't put uh, many sensors in the network, then how could you estimate the others? Then what I said was, okay, I have a student, PhD student who has a thesis on this area, so why don't we collaborate? And you can just give us whatever the real data to us. We can work on that and we will provide you the, the answers to those questions. That is win-win mainly because they didn't have to spend a cent. Mm -hmm. They just provided the data at the same time, the students had real data to work within his thesis. So this is the starting point, which after three months time, we presented the findings to them. They were very, very happy. And that is where they started building the confidence because as a researcher, I myself had a great robotics background, but nothing about sewers. Mm -hmm. I haven't been to a sewer, I haven't seen a sewer. But then how come the water industries or how the water industries trust that I can build uh, you know, robotics into sewers because you don't have experience with that. But this is what happens. You start building the confidence and after uh, two years, I got a good uh, funding and then keep coming. The funding was, it's really great in that area because uh, sewers is the area that uh, not many people in the world has started uh, putting their, robotics people has putting their hands in because of the, the challenges out there. Yeah. One is it is inside, you know, underground, maybe 100 meters below the surface. The other one is the sensing challenge. Uh, it is uh, concrete. It is very difficult to 
sense and the other challenges are about uh, uh, chemicals and all the other biological hazards present in those. Uh, so um, that's how it started. What I'm trying to say is that um, it is about confidence building. It is about communicating it right, active listening, and also provided them with the solutions to their problems. I think that's what I was focusing on. So listen, it sounds to me as though you got the opportunity to shine with your first um, your first case that you presented, and you came flew you flew through it with just absolute flying colours, and everyone else now knows about you, and they go, if you need something, go to Sarath and his team; they'll provide it for you. <laughs> that's what happened actually over the years, and, and that's that's really pleasant to you, you know. And I'm very happy to hear that from other water utilities because we started with Sydney Water. Now it is, uh, you know, um, feelers are going into all the other water utilities in Australia and also internationally, UK, where and, um, um, you know, the uh, US counterpart, WRA. Yeah. So it's fantastic. It, it goes, I think, once you establish your background uh, it, it it it's like rumors like you know it goes uh, yeah uh, it, it precedes you <laughs> so yeah. you're establishing your credentials and let it just go out into the world <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so um a last question in closing did you have a mentor um do you recommend your your students having one i, I think you're definitely just a mentor just listening to you you um your students would learn so much from you but what are your thoughts on that yeah, I think mentor, having a mentor is very important, especially when you're at your early stage of your career, because we are not that experienced. And um, it's good to have a discussion about what is happening. I don't uh, believe in mentors who are recommending or uh, giving strong advice on me. That is my personal opinion. Uh, it is a mentorship piece about discussing pros and cons and uh, giving more of their life experience telling stories so that uh, as an individual, I can decide what I want to do depending on my personal circumstances. So um, I think it is a very valuable thing. I got the opportunity to mentor a um, lot of uh, different people at different levels, um, research fellows, engineers, uh, internship students, um, undergraduates, postgraduates, um, all sort of, uh, you know, cohorts. Uh, that's fantastic experience. Only the trouble that I'm facing is that the time, I think, uh, <laughs> finding a, the time to talk to them. But um, I managed to do to a certain level. I think I'm happy with that. Uh, wherever I can, you know, give some um, thoughts about uh, different areas, different ideas. Uh, that's what I have been doing. So I think it is very important for, um, for anybody to have a good mentor who can um, talk uh, about you with the others as well, because I think networking in today's terms is extremely important. Uh, um, therefore, if uh, there is a very high profile somebody who can recommend you i think it is uh, and, and and introduce you to the others that is a fantastic opportunity i suppose there that we could we could split it a little bit because you could have a champion and you could have a mentor i've had a few of my you know guests say you need someone um who will actually speak for you when you're not there so your right. mentor yeah. your mentor 
not necessarily that role but your champion um you know th those are the people so it's cultivating both i suppose in a way that your mentor you know as you say you can they explore your mind they open your ideas and your eyes to other things but um your champion is just someone who's like i'm now champion of yours so wherever i go i'm mm -hmm. going to talk about the a or double a and i'm going to be on your website soon and all of that so you know um because I actually think it's 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 crucial for our industry. This. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I agree with you. Yeah, there it could be uh, you know segregated, uh, categorized into two uh, sort of uh, roles. Um, yes, definitely, both are very important in terms of uh, today's terms and industry academia. I think uh, in any any sort of uh, um, career that's going to really help you. Um, but I think uh, choosing a mentor is critical. Yes. So yes. I think it is not. It shouldn't be only driven by the reputation or, uh, you know, there are so many other things that somebody need to consider uh, to get someone as a mentor. I think um, the understanding about each other's and so many other aspects, I think. You know, I think unofficially we are each other's mentors anyway, every yeah. day, because I think people don't realize how much other people look at them and watch them, you know, so, um, you know, we can take a way out example is that Donald Trump and his very bad behavior, which has influenced the rest of the world now. And I mean, you don't even have to go to Donald Trump. You could just stay in your own home and, you know, the way you speak to your children or yeah. the way you, you interact with your students, there's always someone else sitting there watching you and going, okay, that's what you did. So are you walking the talk? Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, fully agree with Nikki. I think uh, the internet and YouTube and all sort of social media stuff created, I mean, you can use it in a bad sense. That's so oh. what I'm saying is if you use it in a good way, that provided a huge opportunity to learn from others, learn from, uh, you know, uh, different people. Uh, you you mentioned it right. I think uh, different politicians or I, I used to watch uh, some YouTube and TED Talks in uh, different opinions of, uh, you know, management, for example, or, um, you know, very different topics that we can't even imagine. That gives us different experience, different, you know, ideas, different, you know, uh, exposure to ourselves, which is important as a, you know, lifelong learning journey, I think. Yeah, yeah and I think especially, um, I, I think especially as an educator in your position, uh, the onus is even maybe even more on you to um, really take that role very seriously because people do look to you and they um, they expect you to know about stuff and so um, I'm glad I'm not a, a professor and um, I look to you for all these things. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are a great um, great leader in this area. I have seen you, uh, you know all the podcasts, almost all the podcasts and uh, your accomplishments in your um, this is a fantastic achievement, and I think uh, you are asset to our Australian uh, robotics community. I will uh, hopefully see your interactions with ARA as well uh, as whenever you you know feel free to, and whenever you think you can contribute to fantastic opportunity. Oh, thank you so much, Sharath. Now, in closing, um, should any of our listeners want to um, contact you, um, could I put your email address up um, or is LinkedIn the best vehicle for you? Yeah, I think uh, any of them will do. Or, um, yeah, my uh, email official email address or LinkedIn profile or, yeah, so simply uh, typing in Google might give a few clicks. It will come up. 
for pages and pages of Few of them, yeah. <laughs> so, Ra, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And I think we'll uh, we'll have a return podcast uh, maybe in a year's time to talk about what you've been doing and how your, your vision and your mission is going um, at the association. But um, I thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, Nikki. Thank you for doing this sort of uh, a podcast. I think it's a great uh, for Australian robotics community, not only Australian, if somebody wants to have some, uh, you know, um, ideas about other researchers in their um, fields, that's fantastic. This is not only talking about the uh, research itself, it's, a, you know, life and everything. So this is a fantastic thing. Thank you very much for um, inviting me to be part of it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, please do leave a review and follow the podcast. And we will see you next week again and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.